Have you ever been in a moment in life or maybe after that moment or whatever you did in that moment, you, you said out loud or even just thought internally, well, I guess this is who I am now. Uh, my wife and I have had those moments recently where we've actually verbalized that together. One time uh, recently was when we bought a minivan. And literally, we were driving out of the dealership and we looked at each other and we, we verbalized this. We said, well, I guess this is who we are now. And then just the other night, we uh, found ourselves in bed at 8.30 p.m. to go to sleep. And we both looked at each other and said, well, I guess this is who we are now. Have you ever had those moments? And maybe you didn't say it out loud, like, well, I guess this is who I am now. But maybe you, you felt it in your heart or functionally, you, you walked in that. Maybe it was when you uh, kind of got the, the job that you've always dreamed of and you thought, I guess this is who I am now. And you got a business card to prove it, right? Uh, maybe it was when you, you, you doubled your 401k over the last several years, like, I guess this is who I'm gonna be now. Or maybe it was when your 401k crashed and you say, well, I, I, man, I guess this is who I'm, I am now. Maybe it was when you got married and you're like, I guess this is who I am now. Or when you had kids, like, and they're running around, and you don't have time to brush your teeth, and you don't get any sleep. I guess this is who I am now. Or maybe it's when you're, you're single, and the years keep going by, and you're still single, and you're like, I guess this is just who I am now. Maybe it's something that you've done. Maybe it's a sin that you commit, the lust, the lies, the greed, the pride, and you're just like, this is who I am now. Maybe it's not something you've done. Maybe it's something that was done to you. Maybe it's abuse or trauma or just things people said about you and you're just like, man, I guess this is who I am now. You see, oftentimes in our culture, we define who we are by what we do or don't do, by what we have or, or don't have, by what somebody else says about us or does to us. And, and those things that are done or those things that we don't do or those things that we have or don't have, they end up defining us. And you see, that's antithetical to what scripture says about you. Did you know that? That the sequence is completely backwards. That in scripture, what we see is identity leads to an activity. That, that who you are in Christ leads to what you do. And so we have to, in our culture, recognizing how we kind of do identity that's way off, we have to go to God's word and see, what does the gospel, what does his word say about my identity? And that is how he defines me, shape the entire rest of my life. So that's why we're starting with this mark of a disciple. It has to be this, this gospel identity. That's what we want for every single person in this room. That's what we want for our church. Okay? And so we're gonna look at the book of 1 Peter. So grab that Bible uh, that I mentioned earlier. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the chair in front of you. Pull up the Bible on your phone, get it in front of you. 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you take notes, if you want to use that study guide to take notes, we're just going to look at two things today, the foundation of identity and the fight for identity. Starting in verse 3, we'll read verse 3 in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, and then we'll skip down to verse 13. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That sets it up, and then skip down to verse 13. Therefore, 
preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's a quote from Leviticus. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So our first point is the foundation of identity. And I know we're parachuting in here, so I wanna give you some context of the book of 1 Peter. So if you read the whole book of 1 Peter, what you realize is all of 1 Peter is about our identity. Like all the Bible is about our identity, but 1 Peter really makes it clear. And you see it with even this word exiles in this passage. That's the second time Peter has mentioned that word exiles and these people that he is addressing. It's because they are people that have geographically been scattered. They're not gathered together in one spot. They've been exiled from their location. But it's not just a geographical exile. It's a spiritual exile. You see, the book of 1 Peter is written primarily to Gentile believers, not Jewish believers. And so over and over to these people who have been geographically exiled, spiritually exiled, Peter is gonna remind them of who they are in Christ because they would have wondered. And again, you gotta picture back in that day, this letter that that Peter wrote, 1 Peter, they didn't just segment it out in chapters and, and verses like we do. They read the letter aloud all together publicly, typically to whoever was there. You gotta remember, these are Gentile believers and he's saying things about them that the Bible has said about Jewish believers. Like you're elect, you're God's elect, God's chosen people. Like in 1 Peter chapter two, he says says that you're a holy nation. Something that was always said about the nation of Israel, Peter is now applying to these Gentile believers. He says, you're a royal priesthood. And you gotta imagine as as Gentile believers would have read these descriptions about who they are, they might've thought, wait, Peter, you got this wrong. And that's that's not us, that's the Jewish people. And over and over he's gonna say, no, this is who you are now in Christ. This is your identity. Because he knew it'd be easy to forget. Now, many of you, in fact, probably all of you in this room, unless you grew up Jewish, you are a Gentile. Right? And so Peter's doing the same thing with you. He's saying, hey, you're a royal priesthood. Hey, you're a holy nation. Hey, you have a, a new birth into the living hope of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And so if you get scattered geographically, if you feel like an outsider spiritually, it does not matter. This is who you are. This is your identity. So Peter's proclaiming that over and over and over. And I love the way he does it in this passage. If you look at the language, starting in verse three, look at that verse, you you see this new birth or, or born again. Verse 14, he calls us children. Verse 17, he calls God father. It's all family language that he's reminding them of, of their identity in Christ. Now, why is that? 
Why a birth? Why, why do we get that imagery? Why does, in the Gospel of John, why does he give us that imagery? Why is that so important? Well, in that day, your family was everything. It was your name, but it was also your reputation. The family you came from often determined your destiny in life. And so Peter's using that imagery. He's using that language because they would have understand, oh, we have a new birth. Oh, we have a new father. We have a new family. Oh, my identity really has been changed. And I don't think that, 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 that wrecks us like it would have wrecked them. Because family is important for us. And maybe if you grew up in a small town and you were a Thompson or you were a Birdwell, that meant a lot. But, but we don't often get that in America, but we do get it in other cultures. Like my wife's culture, Indian culture, the name, the, the family, it still means everything. You see, my wife and I, we've been to India and we've talked to people and even when we see Indian people here and especially when uh, my wife's dad, my father-in-law sees Indian people here, whether it's at the, the checkout, the grocery store, the gas station, I mean, he'll just invite them over for dinner the first time he meets them, amazing guy. But you know what he also always leads with? Hey, my name is Praveer Bhattacharya. I say that three times fast, right? Uh, a hidden secret, one of, one of the first times Jaya knew I was the guy for her is when I could spell her last name. So guys, pro tip, okay? Spell your, your future wife's last name, write it out, say it right, okay. But, but this name, just as you introduce yourself to people as my father-in-law typically does, as soon as he says Bhattacharya, you know what happens? That other Indian person, they know three things about my father-in-law, three things about my wife. They know location, they know liberties, and they know language. They, they immediately know, okay, Bhattacharya, oh, so you're from North India. How do you know that? I'm a white guy. I'm like, how do you know this? And, uh, and language, oh, you, you speak Hindi. Oh, and liberties, like you're in this part of the caste system, and wow, oh, Bhattacharya, oh, hold on a second, Bhattacharya. Right? And they just know those things, how? From the name, same way in Peter's culture, just from the name, just the family you're associated with. That's why he's, he's, you're exiled spiritually, exiles geographically. You need to know whose you are, who you are. You have a new name, a new birth. You have a, a new father in heaven. Your whole identity has been completely transformed. Do you know that? Does that wreck your life? When I, when I share, does that wreck your mind and heart? Oh my, wow. God, that you would do that for me. Because you need to know, God did that for you. You didn't do that for yourself. Like this new identity, this new family name and reputation, that's not something you achieve. That's something you receive in Christ. You, you see that in the, the language, the imagery of a new birth. Right. How many of you, what did you have to do with your birth? Nothing. You came out blue and purple crying. That's it, right? Moms, say amen to that, right? You did all the work. The baby just comes out, eh. That's all we contributed to this. Yeah, amen. Thank you, moms. It's the same way in your gospel identity. That's why Peter uses this imagery, it's a new birth. You receive this. You don't achieve this. You can't achieve this. It's completely received. So that's why verse 13, he says, set your hope fully on what? The grace of Jesus Christ. 
Verse 18 and 19, he says, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, that he was without blemish, he was without spot. That's why other verses in our Bible, like Galatians 4, 5, say it this way, that you might receive adoption. Romans 3, 22, that righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't know what that does to you, but these verses and this truth about my identity that I receive and not achieve, that changed my life. That when I was in college, that I began to hear these truths about what God says I am before I do anything. And it wrecked me, it changed my life because I grew up in a church context. And I heard a lot, not about what God did, but about what I need to do. And I heard verses that were really good verses like Ephesians chapter four, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. It's a great verse, right? Problem is, I knew that verse really well, Ephesians four, but I didn't know Ephesians one through three. See, I didn't know that Ephesians chapter one through three, there is one command. Did you know this? There's one command in Ephesians one through three, and it's remember. Remember what God has already done before you ever think about what you're gonna do. I just, that wrecked me. To, to read Ephesians 1 and see, man, you have every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Oh, when I do a lot? No, Ephesians 1, Tim, 1, it's the first chapter. You have every spiritual blessing. How? You've been adopted by God into his family. You've been sealed by his Holy Spirit. These are things that have been done for you, that define you before you ever do anything. And that changed my life. And I remember this happened in college and I would go around other people like you and they would look at me like how you're looking at me right now. Like, why are you so excited? I mean, this is, and they would tell me things like, well, Tim, duh. This is the doctrine of propitiation. And they would say it like that. The doctrine of propitiation. The doctrine of imputed righteousness, Tim. Like, how do you not already know this? And I would say, I don't know, I don't know if you know this because you don't seem very excited and you seem kind of cruel and bored right now. Like, yes, these are doctrines. This changed my, I didn't know it. And it, once I found it out, it changed my identity. It changed my activity. It, it made me, become a pastor. I'm like, I don't think other people know this. I gotta tell it to them. Changed my life. And so my question for you today is, has this changed your life? Is this the foundation of your identity? See, Peter's audience, man, how many other idolatrous identities do you think they had? How, how many identities do you think they had that were completely removed from the gospel? How many identities do you think they had, these Gentile believers who, well, we eat pork and we eat shellfish and, and we're promiscuous. That was their identity. That, that's what other people told them. Hey, that's your identity. You're not a royal priesthood. You're not a holy nation. That's the Jewish people. Imagine is, is Peter, Christ breaking through, through Peter and says, no, no, no. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you haven't done. It's about what God and Christ has already done on your behalf. That's who you are. Do you know that? Do you let that define you? Or is it, no, Tim, I, my business card, that, that defines me. Or my, I don't have a business card right now because I don't have a job. And that defines me. You know, it's not what about my heavenly father says about me. It's my earthly father. It's what he's been telling me for years. 
That, that's what defines me. I mean, it's, not, it's not about what Jesus Christ and who I am and him. It is like Monday morning, I gotta hit it. I gotta climb the ladder 60 to 70 hours a week to the detriment of my family. I gotta make sure people know who I am. And I gotta do that, Tim. Is that functionally your foundation for identity? How's that working out? Over the last two years, some of you couldn't go to work. And you, you kind of said, I don't know if I know who I am anymore. Some of you lost your job and you said the same thing. Some of you, you lost friends. And if you're honest, the person of Jesus Christ didn't define you, your peers defined you. And you lost those people or they unfriended you on Facebook. And then you're like, well, I, don't, I don't know who I am anymore. And so Peter, the Holy Spirit, is telling you today, this is who you are. This is who you are. You're not an exile, you're elect. It's not whoever your earthly father is. You have a heavenly father. You have a new birth, a new family, a new name, and a living hope, the resurrection of Jesus. Easter Sunday is still this Sunday that you are in Christ and you have a hope and you have a foundation for your identity. Do you believe in that? Do you walk in that? Do you rest in that? That's what Peter wants for us. That's what I want for our church I want a group of people who stand and sing in this room and they can lift hands and they can get on a knee because they're just astounded by what Christ has done for them before you do anything. That's the kind of church we wanna be, amen? Just in awe of that, as we, go, as we do go tell other people, man, you gotta know this, this is good news. I want you to come back to church, but it's not Easter. I know, but Jesus is still alive and your identity is still in him. Come back, you gotta hear this. That's what kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of families we want to have. That's the kind of single people we want to have in our church to be marked by a gospel identity. But here's the reality. We all know, and I think I can see it on your faces, this is a fight to have this. I can tell you this right now, one hour on a Sunday, but some of you are thinking, Tim, I have 167 hours and the rest of my week for this to become unraveled. For me to see some billboards and some Instagram posts and, and, and read some things on CNN.com or watch some shows or hear things from my, my family or my friends. Or I mean, you say I got a, a, a holy father, like his name's Jesus, God, but I got another father trying to tell me things all the time and it's beating me down and I don't walk in this identity. And the reality is it is a fight every single day for this identity. And Peter doesn't dismiss that. He acknowledges that and he gives us ways to fight. So again, if you take notes, you can write this down that we fight for for our identity in Christ and we do it in three ways. We fight with our mind, we fight against the former, and we fight with fear. So I just want to tease those out in the rest of our time. The first thing is we fight with our mind. Look at verse 13. Peter says, you prepare your minds for action. It's interesting, in the original language, the imagery he gives is, you gird up the loins of your mind. See, I know that makes sense to every single one of you in this room, but I'm just gonna explain it for those of us who may not know, right? In that day, everybody wore robes. I mean, what a great time to be alive, amen? 
Like the men wore robes, the women wore robes. And so as, as Peter said, literally gird up the loins of your mind. What he was saying is, hey, when you go out for the day, especially if you're going to battle, what you would do is tie up the excess parts of your robe. So you were ready to fight. And he says, hey, do that with your mind. Tie up any excess, any distraction. As you leave for the day on Monday morning, you need to know you're preparing for battle. It's a battle for your identity. The people you talk to, the things you read, the things you tell yourself, your past failures, everything is competing for your identity. And so you need to gird up the loins of your mind and you need to be prepared for action, ready to fight for that identity. And the way we do that is with scripture. We leave our house, we leave for the day, we go into this battle, the way we gird up the excess is we start speaking truth where there have been lies. We saturate our minds with scripture, with books like 1 Peter, with book, books like Ephesians. Oh, this is who I am. Okay, that's what I'm gonna live out of today. On Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, as I go to this family event, as I have this meeting, as I have this time by myself, alone with my thoughts, this is the identity I'm going to live in. And we prepare our minds for battle. We fight for our identity. We fight with our mind. And yet here's the reality is many of us, we're not girding up anything. I mean, we got the robe flowing when we walk outside. We're just tripping over everything, right? Oh, that person said that. Oh, why did this person send a text to me? Oh, what does this mean? Like this person, like they always like my stuff on social media, but they didn't like this thing. What does that mean about who I am? My boss gave me this review, or he didn't even give me an official review. He just came in and, and said hello, but he didn't say, how are you doing? And what does that mean for who I am? And you're just taking blows right and left. And you don't know who you are because you haven't prepared your mind for action. You haven't girded up the loins of your mind with scripture, with your gospel identity. And you're just getting taken out. Anybody? Man, it happens. It happens to me. And so Peter's reminding you, no, 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 prepare your mind. You, you can't just do that in one hour on a Sunday. You need to do that with the study guide throughout the week, with a community group of people around you who help you prepare your mind, who can see things that you don't see because you have blind spots and they're called blind spots because you can't see them. But other people can, empowered by the spirit, looking at his word, and they can help you fight by preparing your mind. The second thing is we fight against the former. Peter talks about that we have these former passions, these, these sins, these ways in which we used to walk, and we have to intentionally fight against those things. These are identity idolatries. These are there may be sins in your life that you, before Christ and even since, you've walked in. And you know what they are. You know, for some of you, that's lust. And you know, like that is my former passion. And Peter's saying, you gotta fight, you gotta fight against that. You gotta fight against that. And some of you know, it's, it's, not, it's not lust, but maybe it's, it's just a little white lie. It's just kind of like protecting your reputation and, and furthering that. And you, you have to fight against that. You have to be ready to do that. Some of you, it's, it is in the age of social media, it's envy, it's comparison. You constantly look at other people's lives and you, you want what they have so much that you don't enjoy what you have. And some of you, even as I give those examples, you're like, that's me. 
For some of you, none of that resonates with you and your sin is pride and religiosity. And that's your former ways. And you didn't fight against that. And again, some of us, we, we just mosey around with our robe on, it's just hanging down. And we're just like, I'm just gonna go near this uh, pornographic image and just see what happens. And we just like stumble into it. Or some of us, we're just like walking in life and we're just like, I'm just gonna go near these lies and this, I'm gonna spend all my time on social media, go near as close as I can get to, to envy. Didn't you used to struggle with that? I know, but it's, it's social media, everybody does it. And we just like fall off into envy in comparison. And by five o'clock PM, you haven't done anything at work and you also don't even know who you are anymore. And Peter's saying, hey, there's former passions. Don't you love that the Bible addresses that? It doesn't act like you don't have them. It addresses how you fight them, amen? Don't, don't go towards that anymore. Don't hang out in those places anymore. Don't see how close you can get without sinning. You gotta fight against that. Fight with your mind. Fight against these identity idolatries. We said it on Good Friday. We tend to downplay sin. We think it's about morality. Scripture says it's about identity. That it starts in Genesis 1 when we're created to image our creator, not the creation. And Romans 1 says we exchange that truth for a lie and we start to sin and we, we start to set up idols in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And we start to Image the creation over and above the creator. That's what sin is. And Peter's saying, you gotta fight that. This is not who you are anymore. Fight against it. Fight with your mind. Fight against these former things in your life. Do you know what those things are? Are you fighting against them? The last thing Peter tells us is we can fight with fear. Look at verse 17. He says, conduct yourselves with fear. Now, some of us, this seems backwards for us. We're like, Tim, I'm supposed to fight with fear? Like, I thought fear was supposed to be left behind. That's, that's my old identity. I don't, I don't wanna have fear anymore. But what he's talking about is conducting yourself with fear, not of other things, not of other people, but of God himself. You see, we've talked about this recently, that, that really a, an appropriate biblical understanding of fear is seeing how big God is. And some of us, we, we see God as too small. Some of us, we see God as my friend, my homeboy. He forgives everything I do, and he does. But, but that's all we see Jesus as. We, that's all we see God as. And what even Good Friday and Easter Sunday remind us is that God is powerful even unto death. He raised Jesus from the dead. He's powerful. He hung the, the stars in the sky. He's controlling your, your very breath as it goes in your lungs, as it goes out your lungs. He raises the sun up to give us light every single day in Phoenix, Arizona. Amen? That's how big God is. And that's the God you worship, and that's the God you follow. Do you see him as that big? That, that's a, an appropriate biblical view of the fear of God. Here's, that helps you, here's, that, here's how that helps you fight against your old identity. Because once you see God as bigger, everything, you know what it does? It gets smaller. Your other fears, they get smaller when you fear God. As God, we're gonna sing in a moment, Christ be magnified is you zoom in on who God is, how big he is, how glorious he is, how loving he is in all his power, how, how gracious he is that he, he does love you. 
He sent his son for you as you realize how glorious, how loving God is. As he gets bigger, what other people say, what your dad said about you, I get smaller. What we used to do in your sinful life before Christ, that, that gets smaller. How much money you have in your 401k and how you're set up to crush it in retirement, it gets smaller. How, how little you have in your 401k, where you live, if you're married or single, if you have kids, they're crushing it in sports, if they're stumbling over their robe and don't know how to play sports, if they're doing well in academics, if you get a lot of likes on social media, if you preach really well and everybody comes to your church, all that gets smaller when God gets bigger as you fight with that kind of fear. You, you magnify God. And then, here's what's amazing. When you walk in that kind of identity, it doesn't make people insignificant. It makes you love those people because you don't need them to define you anymore. Amen? It makes you work harder at your job because you have nothing to lose. Your job doesn't define you. How much money you make and your salary and your benefits, that no longer defines you. Jesus defines you. So go work, go have fun, go create, go innovate. Hey, go to this family function later today and don't be so consumed with how people look at you and what they say about you behind your back that you don't even hear or what they say to your face. Don't be consumed with that. Why? Jesus Christ defines you. You have a perfect heavenly father. Why don't you just go love them? I mean, try that later today at the family function. Just walk right up to the people you're nervous about, what they're saying, the passive aggressive, they didn't like your comment on Facebook recently. Just walk up and be like, how you guys doing? And just see what they do. Like, no, we got a tension that's unhealthy that we're supposed to perpetuate, don't you know? Like, no, I, I'm found in Christ. <laughs> I have a new identity that leads to new activity. It changes my family, it frees me up to love them. As Christ has loved me, it changes my job, it changes my money. You see it? A gospel identity. That's where we have to start. That's where we need to start this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, I thank you that we are found in Christ, that every single man and woman, child, every single person watching this online, God is found in you, that they would be defined by your grace, your gospel, by Jesus Christ, and that we would walk functionally as a people. God, I pray for Phoenix Bible Church. God, I pray that we wouldn't be defined by what others say about us, by what we say about ourselves, what, what's been done to us that feels so heavy like it does define us, that what we've done that feels so heavy like, man, this is just who I am now. God, I pray that we would leave here knowing all of that is shattered and we're simply defined by Jesus Christ, that you are our heavenly Father and you love us. God, help us to see you as bigger and let everything else get a little bit smaller. And may we worship you like that. May we live like that by your grace and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.